Hi, I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends watch movies and, you know, discuss... I f***ed up again! <sighs> you know, you'd think by now I would have this down, but will I ever? No, and that's why you're gonna cut all this out. Or I put it all before the theme song and it's our cold open. Absolutely not. And I'm Craig, and my meds haven't kicked in yet. <laughs> well, welcome to Small and Doll, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on Permanent Good. This month, we are doing musical movies, and we will be covering The Greatest Showman, La La Land, Pitch Perfect, and Enchanted. I am so happy... This is one of those themes where I'm glad I have a second avenue to talk about movies. Because if I were to approach Alex and be like, hey, when can we do our movie musical month? I'm pretty sure I would be shot and buried. Which so, doesn't make welcome sense. Welcome to what I consider, at least for me, a cathartic outlet. Um, these movies, from what I understand, I didn't do very much research. Just enough to where I can say this with... A modicum of confidence. These are all movies that are original musicals. Uh, the concept was written for the screen. The music was written for the screen. Pitch Perfect's a little... It's a little bit of an asterisk when it comes to that. We'll talk about that when we get there. But um, regardless, I'm very excited to talk about these movies. Each for their own different reasons. Um, as always, Small and Tall is a full spoiler podcast. If you don't want to hear us talk about these movies in specificity, what? We've told you so many times now. We've told you so many times. But also, if this is your first time listening, first, where have you been? But also, buckle up for some spoilers. Now, we're going to start with The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Oh, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to The Greatest Showman, all right? Ha, ha, ha. This movie is, yeah, ha, 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 ha. okay. This movie is historical fiction. So, ooh, it is so historical fiction. It's basically the concept of P.T. Barnum, and they're like, how do we make this guy as like much of a storybook character as possible? If you look into the history of P.T. Barnum, genuinely, not a good dude in like the slightest. Um. And the ethics in which he created his circus were less than desirable, I'll say. And this movie kind of just brushes past all that. And that is, I understand for a lot of people, a big hurdle to get over. However, if you are able to get over that hurdle, it's, uh, it's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good movie. Quite entertaining. I really... Look, like you said, the biggest thing with this movie is that it is once again glorifying somebody who wasn't that great. And even though he gets his karma a little bit, he still 
gets redemption in the end that he doesn't deserve to have if you know the true story. Though I do love that this movie has a full circle opening and ending. Like It's, it's so good. So good. Movies and so books good. that have full circle like beginnings and endings are always they always get a top spot in my heart. Like that is why The Outsiders is one of my all-time favorite books because it has the full circle. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with The Greatest Showman, it, it's like I said, it's a historical retelling or it's a fictional retelling of P.T. Barnum. It's the Hamilton of the circus. And this movie is a, this movie was a passion project for Hugh Jackman. Uh, he, he's gone on the record many times and with many outlets being like, this is a personal like I've been wanting to make this movie for like eight years like I've pitched it to almost every studio. We've been working on the music for a really long time. And I think that that shows throughout so much of this movie because so almost every aspect of it from Hugh Jackman's performance to the cinematography, to the music, to the choreography, like it is packed to the brim with so much passion. And it's, oozing like that we are doing this because we want to and that in any movie but specifically a movie musical is like it is exactly what is needed to create the correct atmosphere for specifically a movie about the circus definitely and okay here's my question right so during the demos of this like when it was being pitched and everything, it was Jeremy Jordan singing in place of Hugh Jackman because Hugh Jackman had recently had an operation and couldn't sing. But do you think that it would have been better or worse had they given Jeremy Jordan Zac Efron's role instead? Okay, I'm glad you asked me that question. Because if you had asked me in, in replacement of Hugh Jackman, oh, no, no. Absolutely sorry, not. No. hey. Jer- Jeremy, I love you. Jeremy, I love you. Love you, Hugh too, Hugh is Jer- my OG, though. Hugh is my OG. Oh, of like, course. He's- so, with Zac Efron specifically, I I would have to see it. I, I think Zac Efron is really good when he lets himself have fun, right? Yeah. He's a co- I think he's a comedy actor, um, and, you know, when you have your breakout role in High School Musical... It's hard to ignore your roots, I guess is the easiest way to say it. So I think this role fits Zac Efron very, very well. I would have to see Jeremy Jordan do it. I don't think that also, I don't think the role is that significant to where a change in actor would cause too much of a difference. I will say I did like the chemistry Efron and Zendaya have. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, and Zendaya is just amazing in this. I love her so much. Like, she's just... I don't even know what to say without it just sounding like I'm fawning over her. Fawn away. Because I am. Um, this movie only got nominated for one Oscar, which makes sense. This isn't the kind of movie that gets nominated for a lot of Oscars. Um Especially since this was, like, right after the La La Land debacle. Mm. So, like, they were like, we already nominated a musical recently. Well, we don't have to do that again for another, like, five or ten years. Um, 
But it did get it only got nominated for best original song, which is um, "This Is Me," which is valid, understandable. That's it's valid, not what I would have chosen, but like that's the big ensemble number. It's the one with the most like it's the one it's that got the, the most one of the popular. turning point songs. Yeah, and it's the most popular. So um, it lost to "Remember Me" from Coco, which again valid. I would I I. This isn't a Coco podcast. I'm not I'm not going to talk about Coco. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Another day. I just think this movie is this this is one of those movies that like it speaks to me in in a certain way. The whole concept of like putting on a show for other people so they can get joy out of it and like s- selling joy is the wrong way to put it, but just you know like performing for the sake of joy is something that like resonates really deep with me and so the fact that that's like the whole theme of this movie is like it i i just like it uh, on a personal level a lot this was my second time ever watching this movie even though i loved it when i first saw it but it was one of those movies that i enjoyed so much after i saw it in theaters that i wanted to like preserve that memory of it and yep. i i couldn't yep. bring I felt myself the same way i could not bring myself to watch it again until just last night when i watched it again and once again like we both did i wept like a baby those last 45 minutes are oh, brutal brutal oh. don't forget your like, tissues people like the moment the fire starts to the end of the movie it's just tears it is tears. all tears the whole time. Um, I, I do want to give, you know, this movie is not without fault. Um, I think Rebecca Ferguson's character, Jenny, that whole arc was stupid. S- I didn't care for it at all. Screw Jenny Lind. Like, she was only there to cause problems. And I didn't feel like we got enough out of her otherwise to me to, for me to be like this was a well-written character and it makes sense why pt barnum attached himself to her yeah no it was Look, stupid yeah um i do want to say when this movie came out this is me was the most popular but a lot of people considered her uh her song tightrope like Maybe the most underrated or like the best performed, which it wasn't Rebecca Ferguson performing that song, but people say that Tightrope is like the best and most well-written song of the movie. And I think that that song in this movie is a gorgeous piece of visual storytelling. While she is singing that song, there's a lot of unspoken moments happening between characters. You see... um. Zach Efron's character and Zendaya's character, like their little romance is starting to is starting to spark a little bit. You see um PT Barnum kind of just get fascinated with Jenny and like you see the glow in his eyes of like I need to latch myself onto her. And um so there's a lot of really cool storytelling happening during that song. And I also really like it's a very good piece of foreshadowing because that whole song is, you know, golden towers are not enough. I will never be enough. I need to keep going and going and going. And, you know, it's foreshadowing how P.T. Barnum views himself and what he's willing to do so that he himself can grow. 
However, I think the song is boring as hell. Uh, I'm going to give you one small correction. It's actually just called Never Enough. It's not Tightrope. That's one that they sang earlier on. But I agree. Like, it's really boring. Like, I, like it's beautiful. I love the foreshadowing, like you said, of P.T. Barnum being like, yes, nothing will ever be enough. It's never enough. But it's just... It goes it's on not for like enough. three minutes. <laughs> like, and whoever, like, obviously whoever, I, I, let me look up whoever dubbed that voice because she does deserve recognition. Um, she went on to like The Voice and Britain's Got Talent as well. The woman who is singing. Lauren Alred is her name. And she has, she has a really good voice and she sings the song very well. I, I just don't think that's, I don't love how that song is written. I think it's not as fluid as it should be, and I don't think that it was performed very fluid. It's very jagged and rough, especially towards the end. Um, so that's kind of the piece that I didn't like, is anything that revolved around the Jenny character really, I think, slowed this movie down. I still think that the theme of P.T. Barnum needing to climb and leaving the oddities in the dust, like... That's a very important theme to this movie, and I want that theme to still be there. But I wish there was a more... Cohesive way they went about it. Exactly, yeah. And then, you know, when she causes a scandal by kissing him on stage, that scandal is resolved in 45 seconds. Like, like, um, Barnum walks into the house, his wife is leaving, Charity's leaving, and she doesn't care about the scandal. She's just like... Of course you don't love her. You don't love her. You don't love me. You don't love anybody but your show. And so I'm like, oh, so that was a not that was a that was a nothing scandal. She, we thought it was going to be something, but it was nothing. Essentially, and but like it would have been. I feel like it would have been so much better if they would have included her character somehow, like in the show. Like they could have still like put like given the oddities less time, but given and like given her more of the spotlight. It, it- but if like, there was a transition, and maybe it's not with Jenny specifically, maybe this is a different kind of character, but a character that is in the show and then gets singled out, and then that singled out character goes on tour without the rest of the oddities, like like breaking up the family, Yeah, I think, would have helped create that tension in a more natural way, rather than just removing Barnum. Exactly. I just... Uh... I love all of all of the quote unquote oddities in this are just they're just so good. All of them. All yeah, of their they're stories. so talented. I also my favorite character to watch during all those ensemble numbers is the tattooed man because uh-huh. he is just a fantastic dancer in all of those numbers. And when he, whenever they do an ensemble number, I'm like, where is he? Where, where, where's my dancer boy? Where is he? Because <laughs> I knew he was killing it. Wherever he is in that ensemble, he's killing it. Yeah, I just, this entire movie just made me want to dance in a bar with my friends. Oh, yeah. In an old saloon oh. style bar. I have a playlist called Songs That Itch My Brain. And the other side is on that playlist. That song is so good. I love it so much. All right, Craig, let's get our dancing shoes on. We're recreating it. Let's go. Oh, my God, please. I think also just kind of like as a side note, 
the soundtrack for this movie, like the one that's on Spotify, I think does a really good job of mixing it down from what it's supposed to be theatrically, right? So that full circle moment that we're talking about uh, in the opening number and the closing number, those are both just mixed into one song. Mm -hmm. So the Zac Efron and the Zendaya bits, like that's just in the first version of the song on Spotify, which is which makes the listening experience so much better because how many like Broadway cast recording soundtracks have you listened to where you're just like, all right, there's definitely supposed to be dialogue here. Yeah. All right. This is definitely a scene transition here. And like it, the, the soundtrack cuts all that out and it's uh, I, I, whoever mixed it and edited it, I think did a really good job. I agree. It makes it a lot like, well, cause then you get like the full theatrical experience just from listening to it. Just the, the, the full musical experience just from listening to it without having like the awkward bits like you do with some soundtrack, like you said. Yeah. So that, that's really good. I, I like that a lot. Um, I'm so I'm the I think the thing that I will remember most about this viewing of this movie is just Zac Efron running back into the circus fire and then Hugh Jackman chasing after him and then carrying him back out. Like that's what I think I'm going to remember from this. Oh, just like that scene specifically. That scene was so powerful. Like that's when the tears start, right? Like the, te- yeah. like, like you're tearing up when the fight is happening and the fire gets set, but the tears don't start falling until you see him run into the building after Anne, which is Zendaya's character. Cause he thinks she's still in there. And then she comes running out and they're like, Oh no, where is that Gephardt's character? And then Barnum is like, I'll go get him and runs. It is. Oh, it's just so good. It, it is so good. I also really love the critic character. I think that he is used so well and he's in the he's in the movie for the perfect amount of time i would not want him in any more or any less of this movie he shows up exactly when he needs to and he is not there for a second longer he is there to like push the plot forward and then drop words of wisdom and then he's gone again (laughs) Yeah, he he's also good for like reminding us where Barnum stands yes. in the public. Um, yeah, I just I really like this movie a lot. Uh, this movie speaks to me on a personal level. I understand this movie has problems upon problems upon problems, but the this whole movie is about spreading joy. Also, I'm gonna come back to this thought. Um, I, this is another problem that I have with this movie. It doesn't ruin the movie for me. Everybody calls P.T. Barnum a hack and a fraud. And I never really got that because everybody's talking about Barnum like he's only doing the circus to make money. Even before he meets Jenny and that whole, and the queen and that whole idea of popularity like gets introduced to the movie, people are still accusing him of being a fraud. And I'm like, I just watched 20 minutes where he wrote love letters to charity, like when he was at his poorest, describing his dreams about creating a show to make people smile. Like, I am at no point in this movie am I going to believe anyone when they say that he is a fraud and does and is doing this show with ill intentions. Well, I don't, th- I yeah, I don't agree with him doing with. 
you know, them saying that he was doing it with ill intentions in this storyline, at least. But I understand the fraud point of it because he was advertising these people as like one thing when they were something else. Like, you know, the 750 pound man was actually only 500 pounds. The tall man was Russian, but they said he was Irish, you know. I think that's kind of where that aspect was coming from. But I do agree that, like, he just wanted to do something that made people happy and give people who didn't ever get the spotlight or weren't accepted a chance to, you know, have the limelight for a minute. In this storyline, at least. Can't say the same for real, P.T. Barnum, but... Yeah, so that's just something that I kind of have qualms with. And something could be said that, you know, Barnum in this movie, I, n- I never got the f- vibe from Barnum in this movie that he was trying to exploit his performers. No. I think he definitely was like, these people are freaks. Let me use that to my advantage. But I also don't think he was going out of his way to like hurt them or actively bully them. Right. Yeah. No, he was uh, just trying to put on a show and pay the bills. <laughs> Yeah, so I just, yeah, I think, all that being said, I think we've done a fair amount of praising and critiquing this movie. Um, There's, it's one of those movies that if you don't like it, I totally understand why. There's a lot wrong with this movie, but at the end of the day, I just, I love it with my whole heart. It's a really, I encourage people to give it a try, but to go in with an open mind for just having a good time right like put aside put aside all the bad history of P.T. Barnum and just focus on the oddities and the stories that get told about them and the fun that they have on stage listen some some people may disagree and that's okay I think I gotta give this one a flat nine yeah I think I think this one is probably like a like an eight and a half for me. So close. Yeah, re- yeah, I respect that. It's just um, it's beautifully filmed. The choreography is gorgeous. The choice actors, the voices, it's just it's all so good. Bug, you want to lead us into La La Land? Not really, but I guess. <laughs> all right, so La La Land. Starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Their second time starring in something as together's love interests, which was kind of cool. One of, in my humble opinions, the most overrated musical movies to come out in the last decade. Yeah. So we have Sebastian, Ryan Gosling's character who is a uh, jazz musician. He's a jazz pianist, wants to open his own jazz bar, jazz club, whatever. And then you have Mia, who is played by Emma Stone and is an up-and-coming actress who works in a coffee shop on the Warner Bros. studio lot. And they are, you know, drawn together in a sort of enemies-to-lovers sort of state in the sense that Ryan Gosling is a douchebag to her for the first 30 minutes before they're like "Ooh, let's go on a date um but you know as they both uh find different ways of success and not success it kind of pulls them apart and we get to watch their journeys as they go through all of this craig take it away so when i watched this movie i watched this movie in theaters me too when it came out and 
when I watched it, I'd already watched it. I had watched it after a bunch of other people had already seen it. And everybody was raving about this movie when it came out. Oh my God, people wouldn't shut up about this movie. Um, and so I saw it. And in general, I, w- I was unimpressed by this movie. I thought, above all else, the music was uninteresting. And now, mediocre. rewatching it in 2022, I have come to a new opinion. In that I don't like the movie because the characters are uninteresting. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. See, when I saw this in theaters, I, you know, like you, so many people were hyping it up. It was like the biggest hit. They were like, oh my God, it's so good. I've seen it three times already. So I was like, cool, I'll go see it. This is right up my alley. I was already hesitant because... There was the whole controversy over them casting non-musical actors in musical roles, which valid because in all honesty, both Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are often singing outside of their range, which is hard to listen to at points. Yeah, whoever, hey, I want to talk to Emma Stone's vocal coach for this movie and uh, give her a do-over on anything in her head voice. Please. Holy crap. And Gosling often just sounds like the tenor who got the role because he's a tenor. Like, that's about it. Yeah, he's the only guy that showed up to auditions. Exactly. Um, So, the other, like, the ensemble numbers phenomenal love them they're phenomenal. so good they're the and like the ensemble numbers and john legend song are the best parts of this entire movie anything else i'm like all right i'm gonna focus on the choreography and the color blocking that is in this because this movie does phenomenal color blocking and it's gorgeous it was it still to me remains overhyped to this day and it wasn't a bad watch but i'm it, This isn't one that I'm ever going to watch again unless I'm forced to. The people that loved this movie when it came out in my, hey, sweeping blanket statement here. The people that loved this movie when it came out hadn't watched a musical since The Sound of Music. Okay. True. Sorry. Those are the facts. Um, And I think the songs in this movie, I feel like don't portray enough emotion. There are a few songs that do. Like Emma Stone's um, audition monologue at the very end of the movie. That that song is 100% emotion. Um, but what is kind of considered the main song from this movie, like City of Stars, I, I think that song is so boring. That song is so boring. That song is better as an instrumental that you listen to, like, when you're trying to relax and go to sleep. So... Anyway, <laughs> uh, like you said, th- this is this movie's gorgeous. I think the direction is really cool. Oh yes, um, this movie was written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who also wrote and direct Whiplash. And Whiplash is one of the best movies about music of all time, mm. right? That movie rules, and the and you can see. His direction style in this movie as well. And it is cool. I do like his directing style. I just don't love the characters he wrote. I didn't find either of them super compelling. I feel like they argued about easily resolvable situations. Like the big argument that they have at the table where 
Emma Stone where Mia is like, do you like the music that you're playing? And Sebastian is like, it doesn't matter if I like it. It's making me money. And isn't that what you want for me to have money? And Mia's like, not necessarily. And I felt like they had one argument and now their relationship's broken. It, it didn't feel like a genuine experience. I feel like we didn't experience what they were experiencing. Well, because like usually with musicals, you have like if if it starts kind of how this did, where like they're enemies to lovers, like you know you see with a lot of things like Beauty and the Beast, Thoroughly Modern Millie, yada yada. Uh, they're like the, there's a character turnaround that often happens with the douchebag character that doesn't really happen in this one. Like he is a douchebag from start to finish. And it's which like, is why they don't end up together. Yes, you know? which is why they don't end up together. But and sorry, you finish. But it makes it like in which obviously those stories need to be told as well. But with there wasn't any depth that they gave to Emma Stone's character that made it feel worth it for her to experience all of that with him first, right? Yeah, and so. Because Ryan Gosling's character, because Sebastian in general is a pretty unlikable character throughout the, most of this movie, he does one grand gesture towards the end of the movie. It's kind of like a Hail Mary, can we fix this relationship? Is when Mia goes to stay with her parents again, they've broken up. She gets a call from a casting agent, but Sebastian is the one that gets the call. So he drives from LA to Nevada where her parents are, to be like, hey, you have this opportunity, and I'm not leaving here unless you decide to take this opportunity. Effectively, I'm mincing words a little bit, but he's, he's basically doing his best to force her to take this amazing opportunity that she would have taken in any other situation. But because we're so close to the end of the movie, and all we've seen is just nonsense from Sebastian... It it's it's an anthill versus the mountain that we need to see from him. Yeah, it's like a little too late here, buddy. Like if you're waiting until you're already supposedly broken up to try and do this Hail Mary, you're already f***ed. Like, sorry, you're already screwed. Let me keep it PG. Um, and yeah, there's like one scene where Mia draws this logo for his club because she's like his biggest supporter and he's like oh that's cute but i'm not naming it that so you just wasted your time and i'm like buddy i will leave right now (laughs) and he also has this thing he has this thing where he pulls up outside of her place or her parents and instead of you know they have cell phones and instead of texting her or calling her, hey, I'm here, he just honks his horn obnoxiously. And I'm like, dude, I will fight you. <laughs> if you pull up and you just honk, I am fighting. Um, But that's also probably Heidi, who always got annoyed when people did that. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie won seven. O- Let me double check that number. Um, This movie won six Oscars. This movie won six Oscars. Holy, like, that. Any, Alex and I had this conversation earlier this year. Anything more than four, four or more Oscars is a lot of Oscars to win. And this movie won six. Um, 
Emma Stone won Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role, which, like, I looked at the other nominees, you know, a case could be made. Um, Best Achievement in Directing. Uh, this is, I, I understand why it was given to this movie. Moonlight also was probably a big contender in this. Um, everything else kind of makes sense. Cinematography, production design, like this movie winning those music written, like La La Land getting these awards. I get it. That tracks. Um, it's just, it's fascinating how big this movie was in like public culture when in reality it's like, it's mid. I mean, by definition, it's mid. Isn't this like the movie that um didn't they like wrongly get awarded an award? Yeah, yeah. Th- this was the the big Oscar controversy. The biggest Oscar controversy before this year was how La La Land was announced as the winner of Best Picture when in reality it was supposed to be Moonlight. They did eventually correct it. Moonlight was awarded Best Picture. Um, Awkward. But. It's been sullied. It was sullied that year. Sullied. Soiled it. Also, that dream sequence at the end went way too long. And that's like everybody's that was favorite part, but it went so long. It's gorgeous. It is beautiful. The music is fantastic. But boy, it feels like I'm just I'm just watching another movie. Yeah, like I felt like the movie could have ended like eight times before it was finished. And... It didn't do a good enough job explaining that it was a dream sequence. Like, you pick up on it pretty quick, but you're kind of hung in that limbo state for a little too long. And the sequence goes on for too long for you to live in that limbo state where I feel like it could have been a little more clear. But I think that's subjective for me. Yeah, I just feel like this movie in general goes on too long. Yeah, um... I I really don't know. This is one of those movies that it's going to be put in like history classes, like film history classes. And I would recommend it to people that want to see modern film history, which I think is what this movie boils down to. This movie is gorgeous. It's technically outstanding. And because of the pop culture significance, it's irresponsible to ignore it. But I would not recommend this movie to someone who just wanted to watch it. I could recommend way better movie musicals. I could recommend better movie musicals like with the same aesthetic. <sighs> yeah. So uh, what are you what are you rating this one? Flat six. See, this is a this is a flat five for me. And what saves it from being lower than that has to be, like I said, and I have mentioned one of the only positive things I've said. It's because of the ensemble numbers, but also because of the color blocking, because you have that, especially, especially in someone in the crowd, because you have all of these girls in different dresses, like you have one in red, one in yellow, one in green, and then Mia's in blue. And then she gets to the party that they're all going to, and she is the only one in blue. And so it's like, it kind of like emphasizes the point of the song, which I always like. And, you know, then throughout it, just, they just did so great with the directing and the color blocking and the choreography. I just wish the characters weren't so surface level and dull. 
and that they had more time with their vocal coaches. And obviously Ryan Gosling trained really hard to play the piano and he he both of these characters both of these actors worked really hard on their characters and I think that comes across. I think they are putting in their absolute most. I just I don't know if there was enough substance there for them to grab hold of. I also don't love Ryan Gosling in general. So I know it takes a lot for him to impress me with a role, and this one didn't. As as far as like the color blocking goes, I mean Mia's yellow dress against that purple sky, like that's Ooh. iconic for a reason. Yeah. That holds up. It's so good. Gorgeous. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like Gosling is supposed to be like Mr. Notebook or whatever, but I've always enjoyed his comedy roles more than his like serious Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway. Because I don't know, he just he just he looks a little what smug in this movie. He just he's, <laughs> he looks whenever he does serious, he comes across smug. Even in movies like Drive, his character's not smug in Drive. He is smug in La La Land, let's be clear. Yeah. But even in Drive, he's not supposed to be smug. But he comes across as smug because that's how he does serious. But, like, you watch a movie like The Nice Guys, like, that's not the deal at all. He's just a goofy dude. Just a goofy dude. Goofy guy. Uh, but now on to the other movie that was revolutionary for theater and choir kids in our youth. Craig, let's talk about Pitch Perfect. So Pitch Perfect doesn't fall into the movie musical category that we've laid upon you so far in the sense that characters break into song for the sake of moving the plot forward and expanding character development. This is a movie about performing music and usually in musicals, like people only like hear the song if they need to. People aren't taken back when they, when people start breaking out into song, there's like an atmosphere to it. This movie, it's not, you know, the music is part of the plot. It's not part of the movie. It's not used as like a storytelling device so much. Um, but this movie is a comedy. It's uh, Anna Kendrick plays a freshman in college who doesn't want to be in college. She wants to move to L.A. and be a, pro- uh, a producer, a music producer. But her dad is forcing her to go to college because he's a professor there. And while at college, she joins an acapella group and tries to help this acapella group go from the poor reputation that they had from their last year's performance and boost them to a point where they can go to and win nationals. I think nationals, um, the year that she's in it. So it's a musical competition show. It's Glee the movie. Essentially acapella Glee. And this movie holds up. This movie slaps. This movie's fun. This movie's funny. Like, I, like, I knew the music would hold up because I've heard, I've listened to the music every now and then, but like, this movie's funny. It's so funny, and I just, everyone in this movie is just funny. Like you said, this movie is so funny, and the fact that they had so many funny people in the cast is what made it what it is. I also just, I really like Skylar Astin. He plays the the male lead in this movie, Jesse. Um, Adam Devine is very funny in this movie. (laughs) Um, the only character that I just straight up did not like 
was Anna Camp's character, Aubrey. Um, but she's not supposed to be liked. Yeah, she's not supposed to be liked. Her character is the reason they lost Nationals the previous year. And because of that, she is trying so hard to be a perfectionist. She's a huge micromanager. And I'm going to say it, kind of a bitch. And that archetype got old very, very fast. I understand that's kind of, you know, she needed to be there. So that's the arc her character could go through. But it didn't... It wasn't funny enough, in my opinion. I think she was just too rude and too mean and too controlling to the point where I have, like, it was almost hindering just my enjoyment of the movie because I knew every rehearsal was just going to end in a fight. I, I will give it credit, though, because, you know, her entire thing, like you said, is this redemption arc. She is determined to redeem herself to prove that she can get through this solo without projectile vomiting over everybody and that she can live up to the people who were before her and still get success. But she, like you said, she's holding on to those reins so tightly that you're just like, get this bitch out of here. But a lot of times... Now, this is a blanket statement entirely, but a lot of times when you do have a group that is all mainly female and you have someone who is a micromanager like that, all rehearsals will end in a caddy fight. I didn't say it. Hey, gang, just it, just for the record, when you guys clip that, just remember, I didn't say it. That one wasn't me. Hey, look, there are stereotypes and sometimes stereotypes can hold weight. Not all the time. Not all the time. All the time. You heard it here first. All the time. 100%. Craig, I will quit. I will quit right now. We will. There will not be another episode. I will quit right now. <laughs> um, Rebel Wilson got Chris Pratted after this movie, which is to say people liked her in this movie, so she was cast in eight movies all at once and just kind of oversaturated herself in comedy movies. But going back to like the movie that made her famous, like again, it's funny holds up. She's funny. Like I had so going back to like the original part of like what her bit was. It made me remember that rebel Wilson is funny. And she's, like I said, she was just oversaturated way too quick. Um, I, so Skylar Aston's character, Jesse, gets introduced to us by, um, Becca is getting her stuff out of the car. Becca is Anna Kendrick's character. She's getting her stuff out of the cab once she's about to, like, go to her dorm and she's talking to, like, one of the, what is it? Um, what's the word? What's the word? R.A.? No. Um, what's, like, what's, like, move and day called? orientation yes like one of like the orientation people and you see jesse in the back seat of a car stopped right next to her and then he just starts like air guitaring and singing to her to the song that's on the radio (laughs) and like you have two options here you can either find that incredibly cringe or like me you can find that little bit of cringe entirely endearing and fall in love a little bit (laughs) So what I'm hearing is I need 
I need to start just driving around town, uh, air guitaring at he's... people on the street. I mean, worst comes to worst, okay, you'll gotta... still make their day. Well, I gotta go get my keys. See you later. <laughs> so, anyway, how'd it go, Craig? You're back. And I don't know. Don't. T- I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Another day. Uh, I think this is this is one of my brother's favorite movies. My brother, I think, owns at least the first two. I don't know if he owns the third one, but he je- he rewatches these movies frequently. And like, I get it. I, I th- this is a difficult movie to talk about because I think at the end of the day, it's a surface level comedy. And unless we just start breaking down all of the jokes, which is the worst auditory experience <laughs> I think I could give you. Um, I do want to talk about some cringe moments. Um, obviously, when Becca breaks into a rap during the riff off, I genuinely skipped ahead 30 seconds. That is not a lie. I'm like, nope, can't do this. I know it gets better. Sorry. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> secondhand embarrassment of that awkwardness you're just like oh come on just get better just get better and this was this was one of the movies that was in my rotation in high school where like i'd play it for like a week straight like nothing else but this for like a week straight. yeah Um, sure uh there was my biggest critique which obviously this is the type of comedy that some people like there's just there's too much Ben Platt. No, there's Ben Platt's too much in too much of this movie. There's too much vomit. There's too much vomit. There is. There is a lot. And like even even when I say there's a lot, there's not a lot. It happens in like 3 scenes. It's just the but, quantity in those scenes. Forgive me for the pun. They do kind of make a meal out of it. Ew. <laughs> That, that's that verbally is equally as gross as the chick who does a f-ing snow angel in the vomit. <laughs> I hate it here. I love it here. The uh, audition scene is still iconic. It was iconic then. It's still iconic now. Yeah, I like the High School Musical audition scene a little bit more, but you know who's to say? Dealer's choice. Eye of the beholder. I just like that this one a had more like analogy. had more like a a comedic side to it. I guess. Yeah. Um. Adam Devine was not as big a character in this movie as I remembered him being. No. Yeah. In, in my head, he w- he was like a prominent character. He's in this movie, but not by like a lot. He's more prominent in the second movie, I feel like. Okay, I... I've only seen that one once, but I feel like he was more I'm going to be honest with you. I genuinely can't remember if I've seen the second one. I... I don't think I've seen the third I, one. If they're on Peacock, I might. If not, I won't. Who cares? Um, yeah. I, uh... I genuinely like Becca and Jesse's relationship. I think they're cute. They have that, like, sarcastic banter about them. Which is cool. Um, but again, we go into the why are you guys arguing about nothing? Like the way that Jesse bailed her out of jail, sure, maybe not what she asked for. She didn't ask for anything. But what were you gonna do about it, Becca? Well, okay, so I'm really Nothing. I'm really glad that you brought this up because you know, it's obviously brought up later on that 
she's just trying to push people away who get too close, which hmm, felt. But anyway, I'll call my therapist about that later. Um, I like this dynamic between them so much because it swaps the roles that you usually see in rom-coms or just movie romance in general. Because you have the girl who is emotionally unavailable instead of the guy. You have her who has the big mess up and then has to go knock on his door to apologize. And then at the end, she's the one doing the grand gesture, the rom-com grand gesture to get him back, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it also sends like, you know, the more realistic message that, you know, uh, women mess up too, and we should never <laughs> let them forget. So call a woman and tell them how they've messed up. All right, guys, and, clip uh, that. Clip that. Forget what <laughs> I said earlier. Clip that right now. <laughs> You're done. Uh, You're done. You're done. Yeah. That's okay. I already have my truth social account set up. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Can't be banned everywhere. <laughs> um, I think huh, <coughs> the point of this movie is things need to change, right? Embrace tradition, but also feel free to veer away from it. And the way that it does that message is by... Re, they're reusing the same song because Redemption Aubrey arc. wants to redeem herself on that song. And even though that song is a plot point for the movie, it is, it's tiring for me, an audience member, to hear it for the fifth time by the time we hear it the last time. Yeah. We really feel how those audience members were feeling. <laughs> like, the only reason I was cool with hearing that song again was because I knew that Elizabeth Banks was going to say something funny about it. Oh, uh, those two. Those two are so good. I love those two. They're so good. Oh, my God. And it's that kind. They do a really good, like, raunchy comedy. Like, edgy, raunchy, but not offensive. Which is, like, those two characters nailed it. It's Elizabeth Banks and John Michael Higgins are the two, like, sportscasters. That have that banter, and it's so good. They do such a good job. Their banter is Craig and I's messenger messages after 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like, 9.30, it's like, hey, how'd work go? You know, you doing okay? How, how are the cats? How's the home life? And then 11 o'clock rolls around, and it's um, it's nonsense. It's It becomes nonsense. It's, bro, it's so hard to be so kissable and not be kissed. <laughs> tell me i'm wrong you are not wrong okay <laughs> sorry i was also looking through the other messages i sent that <laughs> night and I, I make myself laugh frequently i will like i go to bed early right craig is our little night owl here I go to bed early most nights, and every morning, I do not know what I'm going to be opening up that <laughs> app to. Because sometimes, sometimes I stay quiet. Sometimes I'm like, you're in bed. Let's chill. You deserve a night off. And then sometimes, it's me singing the entirety of the Green Green Dress bonus track from Tick Tick Boom. <laughs> And sometimes, on top of all those messages and messenger, I also get the performance on Snapchat. 
That's not. That's true. Hold on. You can't even say that. Okay. It's not true. Well, we'll see. Well, I'll have my stenographer go through the records and we'll circle back. Look, if you're um, if you're quiet on Messenger, it means that I have about eight one minute videos on Snap, which I love and I'm here for. Don't ever change. It's this movie's funny. a seven out of ten. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh it's very funny. It holds up. The music's good, not great. Um, it's cheesy and it doubles down on the cheesiness. Uh there are jokes that don't land, but there are jokes that do. So, overall, this movie is a 7 out of 10. I would recommend this movie to most people. I agree. It's just a good time of a movie. It's it's just a good time of a movie, and it still makes me laugh. I'm still entertained by it, and it's, like I say all the time, it's one you can watch, like, closely and attentively, but it's also one that you can just put on in the background and just still have a good time with it. So, 7 out of 10. Amy Adams, Amy Patrick Adams. Dempsey, James Marsden, Woo. Susan Sarandon, all in one movie. Idina Menzel. Eh, whatever. <gasps> Enchanted is one of my new favorite movies. It's so cute. I haven't. It's one of those movies that like I should get around to watching it. Like Batman versus Superman. Nope, that's not true. The Muppets was my first Amy Adams movie, right? Oh. And then Batman versus Superman, you know, five years later. And when I watch Batman versus Superman, I'm like, huh, I should check out this Amy Adams girl. I like her. And then I saw that she was in Enchanted. And I'm like, wow, this movie seems right up my alley. And then I forgot about it for six years and never got around to it. Um, here we are, finally forcing Craig to watch Enchanted. And I'm frustrated that I waited this long. Because this movie rips. This movie is so good. This movie rules. It's one of the cutest movies. It, I, I, it's just, I love it. It's funny. It's cute. It's cheesy. It's Disney. But it's so good. So this movie, <coughs> it is a Disney movie, but it's also a Disney parody. Yes. Where the whole premise of the movie is it starts in a 2D animated Disney movie and it's you have it's a 10 minute sequence where you kind of go you, you kind of get speed ran through a, a disney movie where you know there's this idyllic girl that lives like a farmer's life she gets swept away by a prince and gets cursed by that prince's mother so that she can't marry the stepmother's son and the curse i mean it's not a curse she just gets sabotaged where amy adams's character gets pushed out of the animated world and into real life New York. And this whole movie is Amy Adams's character, Giselle, trying to navigate and survive New York while trying to be reunited with her love, James Marsden. And the only character that can help her effectively is Patrick Dempsey's character. Uh, who's hotter? Who do you think is hotter, Dempsey or Marsden? Don't make me choose. Don't make me choose. <laughs> they have their own flares. I think personally, oh man, this is, bug. This is such a tough question, isn't it? I think in general, I would choose James Marsden. Yeah, but I think in this specific movie, oh, this Patrick specific Dempsey. movie, this specific movie, Dempsey all the way. But in general, you know, my boy Marsden's got my heart. Yeah, uh, I normally. Don't like fish out of water movies. I find them annoying. They usually only have one joke 
and it gets old really fast. Like, you can go back and listen to my review of the first Thor movie. That was my biggest complaint, is that Thor is so annoying because they double down on that fish-out-of-water aspect to the point where it's not funny anymore, it's not progressing anything, like, it's not cute. I, I, I usually don't like those kinds of movies, but I don't... I think it's because Giselle in this movie is so open-hearted and so genuine and kind that <sighs> seeing her never be truly worn down by the intensity of the real world it's like kind of genuinely inspiring and all none of the jokes while they have common themes never felt the same so even though she was doing things that was like inappropriate or unorthodox it didn't come across as stupid i yeah i agree but also on your mention of not liking fish out of water movies um let me go cross Aquamarine off the list of things to watch. <laughs> um, oh, well, hold on. Which is a literal is fish out of water. It's a mermaid movie, so it's like is a literal it... fish out of water joke. Oh, hold on, ha, we're, ha, we're gonna hold on. We're gonna do mermaid movies. Come on. Okay. You, you think that okay. I'm gonna find us an opportunity to not watch H2O? <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Okay. Okay. Now that that's cleared we'll, up, we'll just watch. A- We'll just watch H2O and Aquamarine back-to-back twice. Uh, We can watch the Barbie Mermaid-topia. None of these movies are going to be The Little Mermaid. Let's make that perfectly clear. That's perfectly clear. But on another note, Craig thinks I'm Amy Adams pretty. Yeah, I said that, and you were like, I don't know what that means. And I'm like, I don't know how to clarify. Because I don't think you two look the same. You do a little bit, but not like a lot, a lot. I think you have like big similar eyes. like collar, like the like the kind of like the collarbone and neck like uh, structure is the word I was looking for. Like that's kind of similar, and like you you've had that red hair before, like similar colors. But I don't know, just in general, you two just have very similar like, especially in in Enchanted, comparing you to Enchanted Giselle <laughs> is like there's like that lightheartedness that kind of floatiness I'll take that it. comes I'm with it, it that I kind of saw in you as well. Hey, I'll take it. I'm here for it. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> um, I got to say Patrick Dempsey's character. It's a Patrick Dempsey character. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. Robert, he rolls with the punches pretty well. All things considered like that first, like 15 minutes where they're together. He has some difficulty. And I understand. I understand. But he, after that, he tries to send her away. He's like, here's some money. Find your prince. Please get out of my life. And then she immediately gives the money away. And he's like, okay, this woman clearly cannot be trusted to walk two feet by herself. And from that moment on, he's a lot more on board with everything that she's about and everything she has to say. He starts to believe the, I'm genuinely from a fairy tale land. He believes that bit a little bit more. And once we cross into that threshold, it's just this movie's pure magic. I will say that Idina Menzel walking in and him falling on the floor with Amy Adams just in a towel on top of him. I feel like it would have taken a lot more than flowers 
to get over that. Like, I would have needed an actual explanation and not just a, this isn't what it looks like. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Patrick, Robert, you did a bad job explaining it. He's just like, this isn't what it looks like. I promised she's just an acquaintance. I don't really know her. None of those words are helping you, my man. Hey, do you know what? Do you know what would help? She was lost on the street and I'm helping her. She was lost on the street. Wow. She's a little confused. I'm just trying to help her out. Okay. Let me show you the big dress she came in. It's, it's evidence. Come on. And I think that this movie is just very wholesome. I am a big sucker for making people that don't believe in hope believe in hope again. And that's kind of the big theme of this movie is Robert is very worn down by the world. His wife left him. He's trying to raise his daughter on his own. He works as a divorce attorney. So like he sees divorce every day. He's just like, he's just trying to get by in the world. And in comes Giselle, who is the opposite of that. She sees the joy in every aspect of this world. She wants to accept everything as their best. She wants to accept everyone as their best and watching her influence him like that and watching him become more like that is just like, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I love it a lot. This, this movie is 100% one of the best displays or explanations that you could ever give to describe the rain cloud grumpy guy sunshine happy girl trope yeah uh uh-huh and it's i'm such a sucker for that trope too i love it like when you when you get when you get the grumpy guy to like soften up and and be all cutesy and dance and sing it's just cute (laughs) it's really cute also this music was written by menken and schwartz and they're like my two favorite composers and lyricists. Uh, Alan Menken did all, uh, from what I can tell, all of the music. Schwartz did all of the lyrics. Alan Menken wrote the music for Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Gallivant, if you're one of those guys. Um, Stephen Schwartz did Wicked and um, Godspell. So, like, the writers for this movie, the musical writers for this movie, like... Phenomenal. They're, uh... They're phenomenal. They got those accolades. They, this music is fantastic. Um, the big Central Park scene is, oh, one of the top mob scenes, like flash yeah, mobs. Yeah, that's how you. Uh, that's how you know is the name of that song, and it is so good. It's so good. I wish there was a Disney musicals have this problem frequently where the first half of the movie is very musical centric. And then the second half of the movie is not. And this movie falls into that trope. Unfortunately, Unfortunately. because I know if there was one more banger at like the beginning (laughs) of the third act, this movie would be almost perfect. Almost perfect. I agree. It, that's like it's like the same issue I have with La La Land, where like the first half of the movie is ten times better than the second half. Yeah, with La La Land, there's a reason for it. Like, um, the the interpretation is that the it stops being a musical 
when Mia is unhappy in that relationship and it becomes a musical again when she finds happiness in her independence. Yes. But it still slows down the movie. But again, we're past that. Who cares? Um, I find Amy Adams very funny. I think she's very funny in this movie. Um, And I just, I like her character so much when I really thought I wouldn't. It's just so good. It does. I will say that it, personally it takes like five or ten minutes for me to kind of warm up to her like i guess like innocence in the real world i guess you could say yeah sure that like i said that um fish out of water concept yeah if you're not a fan of it it takes a little bit to warm up to it so that totally tracks but it's also really fun seeing james marsden act like a total airhead yeah, he's just so goofy in this movie. Um, I didn't love his character. I think he's funny. I enjoyed the scenes he was in. Um, the point of his character is that he's very pretentious. He's pretentious, but he doesn't know it. Yeah. There's a part where uh, Timothy Spall's character, Nathaniel, asks him, Prince, do you like yourself? And he just nonchalantly goes, yeah, what's there not to like? Like, duh. Like, he doesn't mean it in an arrogant way. He's just like, I'm me. Why would I not like me? That's the um, level of confidence I want to have. And that clashes with Giselle's personality a little bit, which is ki- which is why I'm kind of okay that they didn't end up together. Um, oh, yeah. I felt like Giselle and Robert ending up together fell a little bit too much into the the main characters have to fall in love trope. I think it also, I would have also very much enjoyed a platonic ending to this movie as well. Yeah, I I can agree with that. But I don't disagree with what they did. I liked how, you know, up until that ball scene, they both kind of like denied it for themselves. You know, like they were like, no, 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 no. This is like, we, you have your girlfriend. I have my fiance, who's a prince. I'm about to go be a princess. Like, no. But then it was still like, but this is true love. This is what happens. It comes out of the people you least expected to come from. So <clears throat> this movie's funny. Uh, let's let's talk about the the Timothy the Timothy Spall bits because we haven't at all. Um, mm. He plays a character named Nathaniel, and he's sent by. The evil queen. The stepmother by the evil queen to poison or just generally get rid of Giselle because the queen does not want Giselle marrying the prince. And so she sends Nathaniel into the real world after Giselle to be like, hey, knock her out. And for what it's worth, those scenes were funny every time. Because the joke is he's in the worst disguise possible. Doing the worst character on the planet, but it still fools Giselle. And there's some sort of divine intervention, either be it naturally or by Pip the squirrel, that she ends chipmunk. up not being poisoned. He is a chipmunk. Get it right. You, you were right. You were so right. I will say, there. <laughs> my favorite part about Pip the chipmunk is his name is Pip. Like, and when he's in the real world... He can only squeak. Because he's a pip squeak. So it's the pip squeak. Uh, anyway. I will say also um, on pips, while we're talking about pip. And completely ignoring <laughs> the pip squeak connection I made. Okay, carry on, I guess. 
I referenced it. You just didn't hear it over Discord, but I swear you can oh, listen okay. back to the audio and I said something to it. Anyway, okay. regarding Nathaniel and Pip, I will say it is so messed up what he did to our poor little Pip, hanging him up on a hanger by his hands in a closet. That was crucifying Pip in the closet was I, messed up. I thought that was so funny. I don't know if they did it on... I I I can't imagine they did. However, I wanted to props, cry and you were laughing. Dude, it was so funny cuz just the thought of like a writer for a Disney movie is like we're going to crucify a chipmunk is very funny. It is, but he was so cute. So it just made me want to cry cuz I felt bad, but it is really funny. Cuz because it's the fact that he's even doing like the foot thing as well (laughs) it's like if the foot was also clamped to something then whatever but the feet are just they're hanging in that like singular pose that he's in that he's in the crucifixion pose and i'm like is pip jesus is pip jesus tell me now you have to tell me I think the cherry on top is the do not disturb sign put over his head. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that is his uh, that so is his good. crown of thorns. Oh, so good. I just I think this movie is so funny and so good. Um I think <sighs> this movie is packed to the brim with uh just it, it feels like a magical movie. It really does. I think this movie uses colors to its benefit because just and and costumes specifically colors in costumes because Giselle is always wearing just like a fantastic handmade dress much to Robert's chagrin um because the handmade is made out of his stuff um oops but regardless the dresses are gorgeous whenever they're out on the town like the 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 sunshine plays a very important role in terms of lighting these scenes and I think it, it's much to it the scene's benefit. Any scene where they're outside and it's bright out, it feels genuinely... It, it adds a layer of wholesomeness to it. Like, we're out, the sun is shining, we're with each other, we're having a good time. Like, it, it gives such good vibes that I latch onto so easily. One of my uh, favorite bits, or, well, not even bits, but just, like, One of my favorite scenes in this movie is, so you mentioned that Robert has this daughter and his wife left them both behind. So you have Morgan and you have Giselle and Giselle has decided last minute that now that Edward has come, they're going to go to this ball that Robert and Nancy are already going to, but she doesn't have anything to wear. And so Morgan like goes into Robert's drawer and like pulls out the credit card and is like, dad said this is only for emergencies and this is an emergency and then like they go on this like shopping trip and then there's just this really cute heartfelt moment where she where morgan just goes is this what it's like shopping with your mom and giselle's like well i've never been shopping with my mom either but you know what i've liked this today and i'm like oh my heart that was that was very good a very good scene and that was the moment where i kind of conceded we're like all right they're probably gonna end up together and i'm okay with it um i will say for what it's worth unfortunately that ball dress just was not doing it for me it was kind of a bummer 
compared to her other dresses, it was like, what is this? What? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Like on its own, it's a it's a it's a good dress. It's, it, I don't think it's great, but it's good. But seeing everything else that she had worn in this movie, I'm like, you couldn't like I understand this is her first modern, normal in quotes dress. And that's the point of it is it's the most normal dress she's worn. I think it would have been more impactful if they had actually bought a still extravagant dress. I would have liked to see her and seen her in that. In my opinion, the dress that she had on when they were like going shopping, like that white and pink floral dress would have been 10 times better than what she ended up wearing at the end. Yeah, but... You know, you wear five big dresses in a movie and one of them doesn't hit as hard. You're still batting pretty good. Truly. I think this movie's good. I think this movie's fantastic. I would recommend it to most people. I think it's cheesy and it's silly and it's goofy. And it doesn't take itself seriously, which I love because it can't. If this movie tried to take itself seriously, it would be the worst movie I've ever watched. So... With that in mind, flat eight and a quarter. Eight and a quarter is a where I'm landing. A flat eight and a quarter. Um, I think that this one is about eight for me. I agree with everything that Craig said. You know, it's silly. It's goofy. It has its wholesome moments. It's very campy at the same time. Like, it's very self-aware that it is a parody of Disney. And I think it adds to the entertainment value quite a bit. Um... It's cutesy. It's family fun. I recommend watching it with all the littles in your life, the little, the little, little childrens. And you know, if you're into movies like this, yourself alone, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's about an eight for me. And so we're wrapping this up. We're, we've done our movie musicals. We did our due diligence. We did the silly ones. We did the fun ones. We did the s- serious, boring ones. Um, and now we're moving on to our December episode. Now, December, you may think Christmas movies, right? Wrong. No, we didn't even do Christmas movies last year. Kind of. Technically, but like we went, we, we went out of our way to be as not Christmas oriented as possible. So this December, we decided to just not even try to not even try gang we're not who cares about the holidays we are burning we are doing something that borders the line it toes it so closely to something we have agreed to never do with this production company here so as you know the number one rule across all permanent good products no horse movies no horse movies no horse movies no horse movies however we've decided we're gonna toe that line a little bit So we are doing not quite horse movies. Like how last year was not quite Christmas movies. Now we're doing not quite horse movies. These are movies that have horses in them, but they're not about horses. It's not the horse's story. Horses may play a central part, but this isn't spirit. This isn't My Little Pony. This isn't Racing Stripes. No, this is Home on the Range. This is Barnyard. This is Tangled. And we're going to round out the month. With Jordan Peele's Nope. Tune in to see how that works. (laughs) I'm very excited. Um, We get to watch my favorite Disney princess, Craig. I thought I was your favorite Disney princess. 
in my heart, but on the screen, it's Rapunzel. Okay. Well, once you get your movie you made, can't it'll win change. Them all, I guess. <laughs> you can't win them all, I guess. So that wraps up our movie musicals month of November. Thank you for joining us and thanks for listening to all we had to say. I hope you enjoyed and we'll see you in December for not quite horse movies. I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm not sure if my meds ever kicked in. See you next month. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.